ahead of is uh, we're going to be in Galatians 3 and we're going to be looking at kind of the outworking of the promise to Abraham. Uh, one once we can we can basically we can basically sum up uh, Galatians chapter 3 as being about the family given to Abraham the family given to Abraham and we don't often think of of our salvation within these within these uh, within this within the terminology of a family now we do have we do often uh, speak of being in the family of God and and uh, we use familial language when we're talking about brothers and sisters in the Lord uh, but the reason that this is so uh, the reason that it's so important is because that is actually what Jesus intended to do on the cross. That is to create a family. And so the, the purpose of God is actually ecclesiological in, in, in essence. It is about forming a body. And it's, it's about forming a body in the sense that Abraham is has has been given a promise that God would create for him a family and then God brings it to fruition in the Messiah in Jesus so uh, we're going to work through this uh, we'll look at um, really we'll be looking at Galatians 3 1 through 9 but the whole chapter is about Abraham and if you if we want to get a good sense of of what the whole book of Galatians is about uh, much less chapter 3 we have to understand the way that the way that Paul is thinking about Abraham and the Abrahamic covenant. And so, as we've seen over the last few weeks, the Galatians were in danger. They were in danger not for committing some kind of thought crime, perhaps uh, thinking that they could somehow earn their salvation by doing the works of the law. No, rather they were in danger of putting themselves outside the family of Abraham. Let's think about this. And I think this will become clear as we, as we go along. They were in danger of putting themselves outside the family of Abraham, whose characteristic mark, so the thing that we show by being in the family of Abraham is faith in the Messiah, not keeping the Torah, not circumcision, not keeping the Torah. And it's not really Torah in the sense, so what's happening in Galatia is that Paul is going to argue that if you get circumcised, you have to keep the Torah, okay? But it's not Torah in the sense of doing good things and not doing bad things, okay? We do that in the Messiah, right? We, we by the Spirit, we do good things, we don't do bad things. So it's, not the, it's not the actions. It's that it's the whole family. It's Torah as in this. This is what the, the, the people who were wanting the Galatians to Judaize, they said, we, are, we Jews believe in Jesus the Messiah, but we are circumcised and we possess Torah. And that is the mark of true covenant membership. You Gentile Galatians must become circumcised and come under the Torah in order to be part of the true family of Abraham. This is their logic. This is what Paul is up against. So they're saying, we believe in Jesus, right? These are people who, who came from James, okay? James, the brother, brother of our Lord, came from James with this message. 
Now, whether or not they came from James, we don't know, but they came from Jerusalem. I think maybe that's, that's what is intended. We Jews believe in Jesus the Messiah, but we are circumcised, we possess the Torah, and that is the mark of our covenant membership. You Gentile Galatians, they're coming to them, they're saying, you must become circumcised, come under the Torah in order to be part of the true family of Abraham. Paul will say, circumcision and Torah are not signs of Abrahamic covenant membership. This is the point. Faith alone is the sign of the covenant, and not simply faith in anything, but faith in the promise of God, faith in the promise of God that he would create a family for Abraham consisting of the descendants of Abraham and all the nations. Now, we don't think, um, this, is, this is very new, it's a new way of thinking because we're accustomed to coming to Galatians and saying, what does this tell us about how to get saved? Okay. Now, it, it's not that it doesn't talk about how to get saved, but what it is talking about is who is in the family and what marks them out as being in the family of Abraham, okay? And it's not circumcision and Torah, not circumcision and Torah. And it's not, simply it's not simply just faith. It's not just faith that God exists. It is faith in the promise of God that he would create a family for Abraham consisting of Abraham and all the nations. When, when Abraham believes that, when Abraham believes that, God makes a covenant with him and puts him in the covenant. When he believes what? When Abraham believes, we're going to look at this in a few minutes, in, Galatia, in, uh, in Genesis 15. When Abraham believes that God is going to create a family for him consisting of his descendants and all the nations, God, God justifies him. He, in other words, he proclaims that he, he declares him in the covenant. And he makes a covenant with it. Exactly what happens. So this is, this is, it's not that he believes him that he's going to be saved one day and go to heaven. That's kind of peripheral. The, the point of Abraham believing in the Lord and it being counted to him as righteousness is that he believes that God is going to create a family for him. This will make sense out of John 8. A lot of passages in the, in the Gospels where people are saying, look, we're children of Abraham. Jesus says, look, I can make stones. I can make children of Abraham out of these stones. And that's the point. He is making children of Abraham. He is ultimately going to fulfill the promise made to Abraham. Okay. Now, this lack of faith in God's promise to create a single family for Abraham manifested itself in Peter's actions in the previous chapter. Remember Peter. Re recall how this worked with him. Peter had apparently forgotten that God was in the business of creating one family, not two. And his forgetfulness and fear, in, the, in that forgetfulness and fear, he set about to undo the very promise of God. Now, this is why it's so serious. How did he do this? How did he try to undo the promise of God? By refusing to eat at the same table as Gentiles. And you say, well, that doesn't seem like a big deal. Well, it's a big deal if God is going to create one family and you try to divide them into two. That's a big deal. How could this put anyone in, in danger of being outside the family, though? This is the point. 
the good news, the gospel, is and always has been about who is in the family of Abraham. In other words, the good news is about who we are as recipients of the promise that was made to Abraham, the blessing of the covenant made with Abraham. And that covenant said, in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And within the context of Galatians, when Paul describes Peter withdrawing from table fellowship with the Gentiles, the charge is so serious because he was splitting the body. In other words, he was splitting the seed into two parts, Jew and Gentile. Now, because we are in predominantly a Gentile congregation, we all, we're all Gentiles as far as I know, we're in a Gentile congregation, this doesn't seem to matter to us, but this was fundamental to the, to the early church, and it, it, it may well become fundamental again. There are lots of, lots of believers who are, lots of uh, Jewish people who are becoming believers in the Messiah. So this may actually become something very, uh, very rele relevant for us in the future. But anyway, Peter was splitting the body, and that, that is a big deal to Paul, a big deal to God. Because, because he is trying to reverse the promise made to Abraham. And in doing so, he is reversing the accomplishment of Jesus in his fulfillment of the promise that God made with Abraham. In other words, God made a promise to Abraham. This was somehow enacted through the death and resurrection of the Messiah. And for Peter then to go back behind that and say, no, we're going to, we're actually going to recreate these two families when God has made them one. He is undoing the very promises of God and the accomplishment of Jesus in his fulfillment of the promise that he made with Abraham. This is what Paul means when he says in Galatians 2.21, I don't nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Okay, so Peter is trying to build up the law, build up the law which divided. Paul is saying, don't rebuild what we've destroyed. We destroyed it and it needed to be destroyed. He's not saying, I should clarify, he's not saying that the law was bad. He's just saying that it was temporal. It was for a time. He says, if we do that, if, we, if righteousness were through the law, if we build up the law which separates, then Christ died for no purpose. What this means is that one of, the, one of the most central things for which Christ died was to bring together Jew and Gentile in one body. That's why he did it. Now, is it a big deal to seek to reverse God's own accomplishment in Christ? That's a big deal. And that's why, that's why Paul is uh, he's so irate about it. Paul thinks, and, and I agree, that this is called another gospel which he says is not good news at all. And anyone preaching this gospel of separating Jew and Gentile again, coming, bringing the Gentiles up under the law, is to be accursed. Anathema, he says. In fact, as we'll see later in chapter 3, those who are not in the Messiah are still under the curse. And what Messiah did, we'll, we'll see this in chapter 3, uh, 12 and 13, in his death, he brought Israel out from under the curse of the law. Israel was under the curse, and they had basically been in exile. And 
away from the presence of God. Um, God in the Messiah brought that curse to an end by nailing Jesus to the cross. Okay? So uh, they, in fact, if they go out from under being in the Messiah and go back under the law, they themselves will put themselves under a curse because that's what the law did. The law said, it wasn't that the law was bad, but it, what it did was it said, you're a transgressor, you're a transgressor, and transgression brings curse. So if they want to do that, then that's, that's what they need to be aware of, that that's what they're doing, bringing themselves under the curse. When, when God stops Paul in his tracks on the road to Damascus, he asks him, why do you kick against the goads? Why do you kick against the goads? What was it that he was resisting? Paul was resisting something. And I think it was this, the very fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham that God was going to create one family. I think that's what he was kicking against. And, and then he comes to embrace it. And, and then, he, then he, he figures out that he, he is called as the apostle to the Gentiles. It seemed, I think that's what's going on, that, that he realizes he's kicking against the goats. And when Christ appears to him, he's kicking against the goats. He's preventing the gospel, the good news of salvation and the Messiah going to the Gentiles. Part of our difficulty with Galatians has been that we have not seen the primary purpose of Christ's death as the creation of one family for Abraham. Partly because we... Partly because we don't, it, it's not really relevant for us. I think it's very, re, I think it's relevant, but because we're all Gentiles, it, it doesn't seem as, as pressing. But if we want to properly interpret the scriptures, we have to go where the scriptures lead us, right? And we have to go where the New Testament leads us. And that's what it's about. That's what Galatians is about. And this is also why we must never forsake the Hebrew scriptures. Uh, because there is one and only one way that we learn about the faithfulness of God to keep his promises. There's a, there's a movement, uh, as you may know, uh, one of the Stanleys is uh, saying we need to disconnect from the Old Testament. And, um, and it's, it's not good. It's pagan is exactly what it is. It's pagan. Be careful with that. It's in the Old Testament scriptures that we learn what it means for God to keep his promises. And it means that you and I, as Gentiles, have been granted family membership in the family of Abraham because of a loving Savior who gave his life to accomplish it. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is where Paul goes back to. Because of the faithfulness of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me, the life that I now live, I live by faith in him. For in the cross, God showed his faithfulness to the promise to Abraham in fulfilling the covenant. We often, we often will we forget the centrality of the covenant. We, in... In, in our modern world, we don't think much about covenant, but at back of all of, at back of what we call our relationship with, with the Lord is the, is the idea of the covenant. 
and the idea of the Abrahamic covenant. And in fact, that um, what is one of the things that I hope to accomplish as we work through, especially this chapter, is to help us to uh, remember what it is that we've actually gotten into as a result of believe, believing in the Messiah. Because when we, when we remember that, we will no longer truncate the scriptures and misunderstand them. We often will say things like when we come across this text in, in Romans 4, well, Abraham was a good example, and I've probably said it as well. Abraham was a good example of someone who believes in God and obeys him, right? Therefore, we ought to be like Abraham. Now, this is, it's, this is true in some sense. It is true that Abraham is a model of faithfulness. However, when, when Paul talks about Abraham, he's not talking about him as a good example. He is talking about Abraham as the one to whom the promise was given and the covenant made, that God would give him a family. And upon making that promise, God makes a covenant with him and swears by himself that he will do it. Then the whole issue, the whole issue throughout the rest of the Old Testament scriptures is, who is in the family and is that family one? In other words, election. Who is in the family of God? That's, that's it. Who's in the family of Abraham? That's what it becomes about. Now, just a, a moment for application here. How do we apply something like this when we ask uh, things like, who is in the covenant? Who is in the family of Abraham? And it's this, and I hope that we can begin uh, thinking this way. We can be no more in the center of God's will than when we are seeking to take the blessing of Abraham to all people, to be the feet of those who bring good news to the nations. We can be no more at the center of God's will than when we are seeking to take the blessing of Abraham to all people, to, bring, to be the feet of those who bring good news to the nations. I think that's it. And that has to be our mindset, that what we are doing is not simply just telling people how to get saved. We are part of the faithfulness of God to all the people, to all nations. And once we view ourselves within that, within that, that world of taking the good news to people as a fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, then we have purpose, right? And, and that, is, that is, in effect, our purpose. That's what the Great Commission is actually all about. The Great Commission is not just feeling bad for people and wanting them to be saved. It's not just about saying, oh, they're going to go to hell one day if I don't tell them. No, it's not that. It is that God has been faithful over a long, long time, over a thousand years or more. And then he accomplished it in the Messiah. And this enables everyone who will, everyone who believe, will believe in the Messiah to come into one family. The family of God, but yes, the family of Abraham. And that's what it's about. And so if we, if we I think that's the mindset. That's exactly what, um, what Paul was thinking when, when he's in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. 2 Corinthians 5. Um, 521 there, he, uh, he basically views himself as embodying the faithfulness of God to take the, 
take the good news to the Gentiles. He sees himself as the servant of Yahweh um, in the Messiah, who is the true servant of Yahweh. He sees himself as the servant going among the nations, and he's going to bring back uh, Israel to, uh, to the Lord, and he's also going to be a light to the nations. That's where we can, we can also find our purpose. Okay, um, so we can no, no more be in the center of God's will than when we are seeking to take the blessing of Abraham to all people, to be the feet of those who bring good news to the nations. Now, because Abraham's faith was not simply that God exists, but that God made him a promise for a seed consisting of all mankind, we have to keep, it, keep that in mind as the, the, the mooring, uh, the anchor, essentially, that, that gives us the purpose that we have as those who, who have, have the message of salvation in the Messiah. Now, let's look briefly at uh, Genesis 15. Because I want you to see this, we, Genesis 15, 1, Genesis 15, 1, Genesis 15 is the covenant chapter. So if you, if there's one thing that you can remember about, about this chain of, this chain of passages of scripture, remember chapter 12, which is the call narrative. This is the call story when God calls Abram out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and he tells him that in you all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed, right? That's chapter 12. Chapter 15 is where, where Abraham demonstrates that he believes what God has said about chapter 12, and God makes a covenant with him, okay? Now, these are very, these are very important for Paul, these, this sequencing of events. In chapter 15, 1, it says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. Your reward will be very great. We'll come back to that. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir. Your very own son will be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to count them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. And here the word is seed. So shall your seed be. And this is going to be very important for Galatians chapter 3. And he believed the Lord. And um, and and this is important. He believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Okay. Now this is going to be, uh, this is kind of the background story that Paul has in mind as he's talking about Abraham. Okay. Now in verse one, notice your reward will be very great. What is this reward? What is it? This is very important, and um, look after after we get done with this. Also, look at at uh, Romans four, because it has this language as well. He's talking about reward language. Paul doesn't bring that up here, but this is what's what's going on. What is the reward? Your reward will be very great. Is it salvation in heaven? Doesn't seem to be. Okay, now this you know, I'm not I'm not trying to uh, minimize salvation okay because it, at back of it or 
peripherally, it's about salvation. If you, if you come to know the Lord, you will experience deliverance, okay? And, but it is about not having an heir. Why, is, why would it possibly be, be about not having a descendant? Oh, Lord God, what will you give me? So he says, he says, look, your reward will be very great. And Abraham says, I don't have a child. He said, you've given me no offspring. How will my reward be very great? He associates the reward with descendants. That's very important because he, it's not just any descendant. It's not just one descendant. It is descendants innumerable as the stars of the heaven. That's what it's about. Okay? So my, my point in bringing this up is that that is what Paul is, that's what he cares about. He's not concerned with, are you going to heaven? Okay? He's concerned about, that's, that's peripheral. The central thing for Paul, especially in Galatians, but also in Romans, is who is in the family of Abraham? Who is a part of this family? And what was it that Abraham did to get into the family initially and then be the father of many nations? Because that's what's going on. Okay. Now, why would Abraham interpret the reward to be an heir? Only if he had been promised what he was promised in Genesis chapter 12. In you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Genesis 12, 2, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you and, and, those who, and the one who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now what's the answer to that? And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, 15, 4. This man will not be your heir. Your very own son will be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your seed be, so shall your descendants be. See the answer, I have promised you an innumerable family. Believe me about this thing. I will make you a family of all the nations through one heir of your own. What does he do? And he believed the Lord. He believed him concerning descendants. And he counted it to him as righteousness. In other words, he made a covenant with him, put him in the covenant. He declared him covenant member, forgiven. That's what, that's what it means to be forgiven in the covenant. God makes a covenant with him. Then circumcision, chapter 17, is given as a sign of the covenant, which was in accordance with faith in the promise of God. Paul says in Romans, it was given as a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness might be credited to them. In other words, that they too might be in the covenant, and that is, our, that is what we're after today. What, but what does all of this have to do with the crucifixion and the Spirit? Because this is what chapter 3 of Galatians is concerned with. Chapter 3. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you 
It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. Chapter 12, he repeats that also in 18. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Okay? In other words, those who believe in the Messiah, who brought about the covenant promises of God through his own death and resurrection, are now in the same covenant that God made with Abraham. And that's it. That's it. We're going to look, um, we're going to look in next week at verse, verses 10 and following, about what it means to be under the law. But this is, this is an extremely important um, way of, of looking at it. The question becomes, for our verses today, what is the relationship between who is in the family of Abraham, the crucifixion of Jesus, and the receiving of the Spirit? And I propose uh, two things. I'm, gonna, I'll short, I'm not going to spend too long on this, but I want to propose two things about the relationship between family membership, crucifixion of Jesus, and the Spirit, receiving the Spirit. Number two, number one, the crucifixion of Jesus was the means by which the covenant of Abraham, covenant of Abraham found its fulfillment. Number two, the covenant with Abraham, the promise that God would create one family out of all the nations, including Israel, was brought into effect by the Spirit of God. That's the relationship. The covenant of Abraham came, uh, came about by means of the crucifixion of Jesus, the fulfillment of the covenant. We're going to see how that works um, in, later on in this chapter. The covenant with Abraham, the promise that God would create one family out of all the nations, including Israel, was brought into effect by the Spirit of God. Now, these two things form the assumptions underlying this whole chapter and even this book. The crucifixion of Jesus was the means by which the covenant of Abraham was fulfilled, and then the Spirit given to all people who believe in Jesus is what brought this family into existence. We could look at the prophets who talked about the, the outpouring of the Spirit on all flesh and see how this um, is a fulfillment of Scripture. But, but I think this is, these are the fundamental assumptions of Paul. We'll see the details of this throughout this chapter, but the upshot of it is this. If we don't share of one spirit, we are not one people. That's what the spirit has to do with, with the body. The spirit is the one who sees to it that the family of Abraham is one family, and it binds the multitude into one body. It is this spirit, which is one, that creates the one people. And this is the climax of the covenant. The outpouring of the Spirit of God is what makes it possible for Jew and Gentile to be in one body. Think about the incident in Acts 10 and 11. I won't, I won't go through all, the, all of that text there, but it's, a, it's two long chapters, which is 
actually very important within the whole framework of Acts. He, Luke devotes two chapters to it. Cornelius it was a God-fearing Gentile. He receives a vision that he should send for Peter to receive a message for, from him. Peter receives a vision that he should eat formerly unclean foods. And then this is interpreted as, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unclean or unholy. You see what's going on here? He, he, got a, he had a vision. The sheep came down and there were all kinds of animals and, and God tells him to eat them. And he says, no, I can't eat them. These are unclean foods. And then he turns around and these messengers from Cornelius, who's a Gentile, He's a God-fearer, but he's a Gentile. They show up and they say, we want you to come with us because um, our master sent us and we, we have a vision. He had a vision that he was supposed to send for you. And Peter then interprets it as, God has shown me that I should not call any man unclean or unholy. So Peter goes to Cornelius and he tells him about Jesus. And in chapter 10, verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who were listening to the message. Verse 45, all the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed. And this is the kicker. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. There it is. And it makes it all the more ironic that Peter is the one trying to reverse that in Galatians. Paul likely knew of this story. Why would he know of this story? Since Luke was Paul's travel companion and co-laborer, and Luke wrote Acts. So that's, to me, that makes it quite ironic that um, Peter is basically undoing the effects of his own, the own vision that he'd been given from the Lord about who is clean and who is unclean. And he basically said, no one is unclean. Anybody who believes in the Lord is in the family, right? That's the point. The Jewish believers, as, Acts, uh, as the book of Acts implies, were having trouble dispensing with the relational requirements of the law. It wasn't the Gentiles. The Gentiles had no problem. I mean, the Gentiles eat with anybody, right? But the Jews had a problem because the law had expressly forbidden them to make social contact with the Gentiles. Now, there probably were a lot of Jews in that time that said, look, we don't, we don't observe this, you know, we don't observe this, and they had friends who were Gentiles. But those who were serious, if you were a serious Torah observer, you did not have company, and you certainly did not eat with a Gentile. You didn't go into their house. Peter says it himself, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. The truth of the good news meant that God had broken down this wall of separation between Jew and Gentile through the body of Christ, he says in Colossians, making the two one. Maybe it's Ephesians 3. Making, he broke down this wall of partition that was separating Jew and Gentile through the body of Christ, making the two one. The problem we, we often have with interpreting the books of uh, the letters of Paul is that we don't see this as a big deal, but reread them, reread Ephesians, 
Reread Colossians. Reread Romans and Galatians, uh, for that matter. Understanding what's at stake here. Is it one family or is it two? The Spirit of God poured out upon Jew and Gentile alike was the sign that this had now been brought into effect. And that then enabled the promise of Abraham to be fulfilled. Those who go back to Jew-Gentile distinctions and require circumcision and Torah observance for covenant membership, they say this, Christ died for nothing. That's why it matters. The fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant means that something other than what it meant in, Galatians, in, Galatians, in Genesis 15, that God would create family. That he would create one family out of Jew and Gentile. So you have to say something like that, that it didn't mean God would create one family. Okay. In the weeks ahead, we'll see um, what the law was for, what's, what's going on with the temporary reign of the law, as Paul says in, in uh, Romans. We're going to look at what it accomplished, what it, what it was intended for, and more about how God's faithfulness in the Messiah brought its reign the reign of the law to an end. And this is good news for all of us uh, Gentiles because we don't have to submit to circumcision and Torah. Amen. Amen. So that's, uh, that's it. And I think uh, if we reread, reread Galatians, uh, reread Romans in light of this, I think what Paul says makes a lot of sense. Will make a lot more sense than, uh, than it has historically.